Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Today's episode of the Peter Schiff Show podcast is brought to you by NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com gold. The U.S. stock market just had its worst week since March. In fact, if you look at just the second half of October, because today was the last trading day of the month, this is the biggest decline we've seen in the second half of October since 1987. And that was the year of the October 87 stock market crash. In fact, this is the worst week to precede a presidential election in the history of the stock market. Now, if you remember, I was talking on my podcast about the possibility that we may have a stock market crash in October, just when the month began. And I thought that would make things even more difficult for President Trump to get reelection because clearly the stock market was his greatest accomplishment. And uh, so anything that jeopardized the stock market rally would also put in doubt his reelection, although that's already been in doubt for some time. I've been saying that I didn't think Trump was going to get reelected. The polls seem to be confirming that. I also thought that it was nonsense that so many people were talking about the fact that a Biden win was going to be a positive for the stock market. I was saying that this was nonsense. I said it on you know my most recent podcast. And my thought process was that we would actually have a big sell-off in the stock market if Biden won, that it would be a buy the rumor, sell the fact. Well, apparently they're not waiting for the fact and they're selling on the rumors. They bought on the rumor that Biden was going to win and now they're selling on the rumor that he's going to win because a Biden victory is not good for the stock market. It means much higher taxes and that is not going to be offset by 
uh, the Federal Reserve. I mean, that is what everybody expects. Everybody expects the Fed to save the day. In fact, I heard somebody interviewed on CNBC today, and he was saying it doesn't matter who wins the election because regardless of who wins, uh, Jerome Powell is still going to be Fed chairman. The point being, who cares who the president is? As long as we got a Fed chairman who's willing to print money, we have nothing to worry about. In fact, Fundstrat's Tommy Lee was on CNBC a couple of days ago, and they were discussing the ramifications for the market of a contested election, meaning that we don't get uh, the results. We don't know who won on uh, you know Tuesday evening or Wednesday morning. Neither side is willing to concede defeat. And maybe it goes on for several weeks or who knows. And they're concerned that all this uncertainty is going to weigh on the market. And then Tommy Lee is, no, 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 don't worry about that. Because if there is a contested election, the Fed is going to step up. The Fed is going to backstop the market. So it's actually good for the market, right? Bad news is good news. If we get this uncertainty, that's going to bring the Fed to the table with a new round of quantitative easing. So we should hope for a contested election because that will mean the Fed is going to print even more money than they would if we knew the result. Again, it doesn't matter. Everybody is so confident that the Fed has their back. Nothing can go wrong because anything that goes wrong, the Fed's going to put it right. The only leg that this market is standing on is the Federal Reserve and money printing. But ultimately, that's not going to be enough. The market is not going to be able to survive when that's the only support. Now, the weakest part of the market today was the tech stocks, right? The Nasdaq had the biggest decline. It was down 2.5%, 274 points. Although we were down over 3% with maybe five minutes left to go, there were some kind of buy programs that kicked in right near the close that lifted the market off the lows. In fact, the Dow was only down 157. At one point during the day, it was down over 500. And I think we were down about 400 within the last 15 minutes or so before the buy programs kicked in. But there really was no escape. All of the major indexes were down on the day, on the week. In fact, the weekly decline for the Dow is 5.7%. I think the NASDAQ was down about 5.4% on the week. S&P was also down about 5.6%. I think the Russell 2000 kind of held up the best. It was only down 4.3% on the week. But look at how much the markets are down from their September highs. You've got an 11% decline in the Russell 2000, or almost 11%. The NASDAQ actually down more than 11%. It's down 11.2%. The Dow Jones is down 10.4% from its September high. Only the S&P remains outside of correction territory. Wall Street defines a official correction as a drop of 10 to 20%. The S&P is down just 9% from last month's high. Although who knows, we can easily slip into uh, correction territory on Monday because the election is not until Tuesday. So we still can have a 1987 style stock market crash on Monday and still have it happen before the election. In fact, I think the technicals look very, very weak for this market going into the election. So I would not be surprised to see a very weak day on Monday, maybe even a black 
Monday heading into the election. I don't think the cell programs that kicked in at the end of the day uh, did anything to really support the market. You know, in fact, if we do get some type of stock market crash on Monday or even just, you know, a big decline, doesn't necessarily have to be a crash. And in fact, what happened this week if you combine that to a big loss on Monday, certainly Donald Trump could start to say that the stock market is now pricing in a Biden victory, that it took until recently for the market to come to terms with the fact that Biden is the most likely winner. Now, this would, of course, mean that Trump has to accept the fact that he's behind in the polls and that the markets now believe that he's going to lose, but at least he can salvage the collapse in the stock market to prove just how dangerous it will be to vote for Biden, because he can say this is just a small taste of what's going to happen. Because remember, Donald Trump has been out campaigning, saying that the market would crash if Biden won. Now, of course, the stock market pundits were saying the opposite. They were saying that a Biden victory is even better than a Trump victory, so long as the Democrats have the Senate and the House to guarantee even more stimulus. But now, Donald Crump can say, you see, I warned you what might happen if Biden wins. And now the markets are getting scared that he might win. And if you want to stop the collapse, you better vote for me. If you don't want your 401k to become a 201k, right, you better vote for me. So maybe there's a way to make lemonade out of the stock market lemons. But again, I still think that a big drop in the stock market, even if Trump wants to claim that it's only because investors are worried that he's going to lose, I still think that muddies uh, the waters of his message because he's trying to claim that the economy is roaring back and proof of how strong the economy is has been the stock market and the stock market raking new highs. It's these record highs in the stock market that supposedly is a leading indicator of this V-shaped recovery. Well, if the stock market rolls over and is collapsing, then his ability to pretend that the economy is great because the stock market is at record highs is diminished. And again, I think that if the stock market is falling, that just gives investors another reason to be worried uh, when they go to the polls to vote. And the more they're worried about the status quo, the more likely they are to vote to change the dynamics uh, by voting for the challenger and ousting the incumbent. Even if by voting for the challenger, they're voting in a guy who's actually worse uh, for the stock market than the guy who's there now. Again, that doesn't really matter. Right? When, when, when things are bad, you just want to change and you want to hope for the best. You just don't want to vote for more of the same when you don't like what you've got. You know, these tech stocks still have nosebleed valuations. I mean, they finally started to come down. We had a lot of earnings, mostly disappointing earnings today. The tech stock that led the market lower was Twitter. That one was down 21% on the day. But plenty of big tech stocks uh, had very substantial declines today. With many of the biggest FANG stocks down better than 5%, there were other big names that were even down closer to 10%. In some cases, they were down more. The only one that was really positive was Google, uh, or rather Alphabet is the parent company of Google. They had earnings that were better than expected, and that stock managed to finish the day positive up just under 4%, although close to the lows of the day, uh, stock was up much more earlier in the day. But one of the most significant things about the sell-off, not only today, but this week, 
was that the bond market did not rally. In fact, the bond market was down on the day and on the week, meaning long-term interest rates went up. Now, normally, when you see a, you know people running to get out of stocks, they're running to get into bonds. Bonds have been the safe haven when you're worried about the stock market, although there was no refuge this week because even if you had a diversified portfolio, you were down on your stocks and you were down on your bonds. Yes, your bonds went down less than stocks, but everything went down and nothing went up. And you know, I think this is going to compound the problems for the stock market because I do believe that ultimately we're going to see both stocks and bonds heading lower. And that means it's even more dangerous for the stock market. Because you go back to, let's say, the 1987 stock market crash and really every other significant stock market decline. What's always happened is the bond market has rallied as stocks have fallen. And that's basically done two things to help the market. One is as interest rates are falling, that in and of itself helps to increase the value of stocks because lower interest rates means that stocks have more value because you're now discounting the earnings based on a a lower rate. So that helped stock market valuations, right? So stocks are falling, but because bonds are rising, that is making stock market values come up. So that acts as a bit of a floor beneath the market, creating additional value to support higher stock prices. The other benefit that people had was, again, if they had a diversified portfolio, if you had both stocks and bonds, and bonds were rising as stocks were tanking, then your gains in the bond market were offsetting your losses in the stock market. But if bonds are falling as well as stocks, then you have no gains to offset your losses. You just have more losses on top of the losses you have. So I think this is going to be particularly brutal because not a lot of people have hedges that are outside of traditional U.S. stocks and bonds. There's not a lot of investors that have gold or gold stocks that are hedging their portfolio. I think eventually they will. As I've been saying for a while, I think gold is going to be the last safe haven standing. And ultimately, that's where all the safe haven money is going to flow. Although this week, gold was down a bit, but not spectacularly so. Yes, gold ended the week below 1900, but not significantly below. I mean, gold's around 1880-ish or so. I mean, just slightly below, about $20, $22 below 1900. So gold is holding up very nicely. In fact, gold had a decent day today, up about 10 bucks silver up 43 cents today, which is very strong in the face of sliding equity markets. Now, we did have a big drop in the metals yesterday, uh, but we had some buying that came in today. I thought yesterday's drop was a very, very good buying opportunity because people are still expecting that if stocks collapse, that gold is going to go down with it, just like it did back in March or just like it has done in previous times of major stock market sell-offs. But this time, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, given where the Fed is, given how much money has already been printed, given how much money is going to be printed, I just don't think you're going to see any kind of significant weakness in the price of gold. So any weakness that you get is going to be a, a buy signal. As a matter of fact, the Federal Reserve tried to throw a lifeline to the markets earlier today because as the Dow was getting beaten up, right, it was near the lows at the time I think this news story broke. But the Fed announced that it was going to be lowering the loan limits on its Main Street lending program 
from 250,000 all the way down to 100,000. And what this program is, is to lend money to small businesses on Main Street. Now, why is the Federal Reserve making these loans? Because there's no reason for the Federal Reserve to be making loans to small businesses, and certainly not loans as small as $100,000. I mean, why can't these small businesses get a $100,000 loan from their own banks? And the reason they can't is because they're not creditworthy. I mean, the banks could get unlimited amounts of money from the Fed. That's the problem. I mean, yes, there's no real savings to make these loans because nobody is saving. The Federal Reserve has been replacing legitimate savings by just creating money out of thin air and making it available at low interest rates to banks. The problem is the banks don't even want to borrow that money and lend it to these Main Street businesses because they know they're not going to get the money back because these companies are bad credit risks. And so private lenders don't want to make the loans. Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Now, why should the government do that? If these businesses can't repay the loans, why is the government lending them any money? And it's not really a loan. If you're loaning money to a business that can't repay it, it's not really a loan. It's a grant or it's a gift. But, you know, it sounds a lot better if you can pretend it's a loan. But this is all pure inflation. The Fed is just printing up money and handing it out to small businesses. Again, that's why I think a lot of people are starting small businesses so they can take advantage of this giveaway and just get money from the government. And, you know, I've talked about this in the past. None of this is constitutional, right? There is nothing in the Constitution that says the government, the federal government, can loan money to anybody. It does say in the Constitution that the federal government can borrow money. So it's allowed to borrow money because it is expressly granted that power. Remember, and I've gone over this, the way the Constitution works, the federal government only has the authority to do what the Constitution specifically says they can do in Article 1, Section 8. And Article 1, Section 8 specifically says that the federal government can borrow money. Now, if it didn't say they could borrow money, they couldn't do it. That's why they wrote it in there. Well, they didn't write in there that the federal government can lend money. And since it's not authorized to lend money, any U.S. government loan is unconstitutional. Now, I know some people might say, well, Peter, it's not the federal government making this loan. It's uh, the Federal Reserve. And that technically may be true. And of course, there are plenty of other loans that are made 
directly by the federal government and are unconstitutional. But to say that these are loans from the Fed and not from the federal government, I think that's a distinction without a difference because these two entities are acting uh, in concert with one another. They are de facto the same entity. The Federal Reserve is acting as if it was an arm of the government, not an independent central bank. But what we do know is that the U.S. government has guaranteed to make up any losses that the Federal Reserve suffers on any of its loans. So in other words, the federal government has guaranteed the loans that the Federal Reserve is making. And again, there is nothing in Article 1, Section 8 that says that the federal government has the right to guarantee the loans of third parties, which would include the Federal Reserve. So the whole thing is unconstitutional. But apart from being unconstitutional, it's bad economics, and it's certainly not capitalism. I mean, is it capitalism when the government loans money to businesses that can't get loans in the private sector, right? Because when the private sector doesn't want to make a loan, it's for a good reason, right? Because the whole purpose of a loan is to get paid back, right? And because you're allocating scarce capital. So you want to make sure you're funding viable, legitimate uh, projects. And the way you know that it's a legitimate use of the loan is the company borrowing the money is creating enough value with the loan to pay you back and not only pay you back your principal, but pay you back your interest. But you have all these companies that are basically going to fail, right? The reason they're borrowing money is so they can survive a while longer, but they're never going to be able to pay the money back. They're just going to be able to stay in business longer utilizing these loans. But then eventually when they go bankrupt, they're going bankrupt with even more debt because they borrowed money when they were on their way to bankruptcy. So they didn't use the money productively. They just used it to stay afloat, right? And, and what the government is doing by extending these loans to companies that can't afford to pay it back and that would go bankrupt without the loans, they're just keeping them in business longer, allowing them to accumulate even bigger debt so that when it comes time to theoretically repay these loans, they're in even worse financial shape than when they took them out. So this is the opposite of capitalism. This is a complete waste. And look, the Trump administration is all for this, right? At the same time, Donald Trump talks about how America will never be a socialist nation, yet he's supporting what amounts to socialist policies where the U.S. government is picking the winners and losers in theory. Of course, all they're doing is picking losers and loaning them money. And again, they're not loaning them money, they're giving them money, but they're preventing the economy from restructuring. They're preventing the economy from freeing up these resources and moving them to uh, more productive uses. And you know, the craziest thing about what's going on is nobody seems to care, right? I said uh, earlier that somebody on CNBC, and I, I forget the guy's name, but he said, who cares who wins the election? Because, you know, Powell's still going to be Fed chairman. Everybody acknowledges that this is all about the Fed. In fact, there's a discussion on there. And again, I forget who it is. I mean, they're all the same. I mean, it's the same cast of characters that goes on CNBC. I mean, now that they don't have guys like me on there, it's just, you know, one Pollyanna bull after another, perma bull. But they were talking about how, hey, the Fed is playing the music and we're all happy to dance to it, right? They're all admitting that they're dancing to the Fed's music and they're all convinced that the music's never going to stop playing. And of course, this is a reference going back to the stock market 
financial crisis of 2008, I forget which bank CEO said, well, you know, we had no choice. Uh, You know, we had to keep dancing as long as the music was playing. And the last time Wall Street was doing that, it ended in a crisis. But now you have people coming on CNBC saying the same thing before the crisis, admitting that they're dancing to the Fed's tune, but they're not going to stop dancing because they think the music is never going to stop playing. Well, do you think anybody thought the music was going to stop playing uh, before the 08 financial crisis? Of course not. But now people are so convinced that this time it's different. They think this time the Fed has got their back before the crash. They don't even have to worry about the music stopping because the Fed is not even going to allow it to stop, right? They kind of were asleep and and, and let it stop playing for a while in 08 before they really cranked it back up again. Uh, But this time, nobody is even concerned. And in fact, at the same time, these same guys that were admitting that it's the Fed that's calling the tune and they're all just dancing. All these people also specifically said that the market is not a bubble. And I heard that all day. I mean, different people coming on saying the stock market's not a bubble while at the same time acknowledging that the reason you don't have to worry about the market going down is because of the Fed. Well, if the Fed is what's propping up the market, then by definition, it's a bubble, right? If the only thing keeping the market up is artificially low interest rates and money printing, how can it not be a bubble, right? If it was based on fundamentals, if it was the earnings that were supporting the stock market, then it wouldn't be a bubble. But to concede that it's the Fed that is the only support beneath the market and then at the same time claim the market is not a bubble or it's not overvalued, if the market wasn't overvalued, it wouldn't need the Fed. The fact that it needs the Fed proves that it's overvalued. That's just how clueless all these guys are. No, we got the GDP numbers out for Q3 yesterday, and they they beat the uh, estimate. Of course, the estimate was for a big gain, I think maybe 30%-ish, and we ended up with a record 33.1% surge in Q2 GDP. And of course, everybody is talking about how great this is, fantastic, the economy is coming back, and of course, they ignore the fact that GDP collapsed by 31.4% in the second quarter. So the only reason we had such a big rebound in the third quarter is because we had a huge collapse in the second quarter. But if you measure both quarters combined, GDP was still down a staggering 8.7% over a six-month period. That is a big decline. And again, the only reason that decline was mitigated by that 33.1% surge in the third quarter was because consumer spending was off the charts. I think it was up better than 40%. And where did all these unemployed consumers get all this money to spend? They got it from the government. They got it from the Federal Reserve. You had all of these unemployed people who now were actually getting more money unemployed than when they used to have jobs because the purchasing power that they received through stimulus checks and you know supplemental unemployment benefits actually exceeded the purchasing power they lost uh, because they they no longer had a paycheck. The stimulus checks exceeded the paychecks, and so everybody rushed to spend money. But what nobody is looking at when they're talking about this huge 33.1% jump in GDP was the even bigger jump in debt. 
All of this was paid for with debt, which means it wasn't paid for. We put it on a credit card. We had record borrowing and money printing in the third quarter. That's why the economy came back, which means it's an illusion. It's not real. This is just a fantasy. And everybody who's focusing on the GDP while ignoring all of the debt and money printing that made that possible is ignoring the consequences. In fact, you know, one of the uh, the consequences that they're ignoring is the weakness in the bond market. I pointed out that bonds were down and they talked about that uh, on CNBC as well today. And the attitude among the experts, the so-called experts, was pretty sanguine because they were saying, look, it doesn't matter because ultimately the Fed is going to put a floor uh, beneath the bond market. It's going to have a target, a cap on interest rates. And so even if bond prices fall and rates start to rise, there's going to be a limit to how high the Fed is going to allow interest rates to rise. So we don't have anything to worry about, right? Even if bonds are going up or interest rates are going up, it's okay because they're not going to go up that much because the Federal Reserve won't allow it. And again, what all these people seem to miss is what are the consequences of this? Right? Because there is only one way for the Federal Reserve to uh, put a target on interest rates, to fix interest rates, and that's through the massive money printing. Because the Federal Reserve has to go into the market and buy up enough bonds to prevent prices from falling to keep interest rates from rising. And everybody seems to think that the Fed can do that with impunity. It can't. I mean, it can do it so long as the bottom doesn't drop out of the dollar, so long as foreigners and the foreign currency markets are dumb enough to allow the Fed to get away with this. And my bet is they're not going to. That when the Fed tries to prop up the bond market, it will in fact sacrifice the dollar and everybody thinks well that's okay if the dollar goes down maybe it's okay if it goes down a little but not if it crashes which is exactly what it's going to do if the fed actually steps up to the market to keep interest rates artificially suppressed now of course why does the fed want to do that well because if it allowed interest rates to rise given the enormity of the debt that we have there is no way that the markets could survive because debtors couldn't afford to service the debt at a true rate of interest. So the only way to keep this phony economy alive is for the Fed to put it on life support. But by trying to artificially support the life of this economy, they're gonna kill the dollar. If you're a business owner, you don't need me to tell you that running a business is tough, although I tell you that all the time, especially with all the government regulations that compound the problem. Fortunately, you may be making it harder on yourself than is necessary. Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down anymore. It's time to upgrade to NetSuite so you can stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need. You can ditch the spreadsheets and the old software. Now's the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. It's the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your finances. You can do HR, inventory, e-commerce, whatever you need, it's there all in one place. Whether you're doing a million or a hundred million in revenue, save time and money with NetSuite. Join the over 21,000 companies that are already using NetSuite right now. 
So let NetSuite show you how you'll benefit with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash gold. Schedule your free product tour now at netsuite.com slash gold. That's netsuite.com slash gold. I don't think it's a coincidence that the market is selling off this week the way it is, because as I said, I never bought into the argument that a Biden victory was good for the stock market. And so I think that rather than getting that post-Biden victory sell-off, as traders took a second look at that you know, hypothesis and completely rejected it, I think they're taking a second look at it before the election and they're already rejecting it and they're already selling. And I think the sell-off will continue after the election. In fact, the big rally that we had after the 2016 election is one of the reasons that people are so optimistic that we'll get a similar rally after this election. Well, I think that optimism Uh, misses the bigger picture of how much worse the economy is now than it was four years ago and how much more overvalued the markets are now than they were four years ago. Not that the markets weren't overvalued four years ago. They were. And not that the stock market wasn't overvalued. It was. It's just that the market is so much more overvalued now and the economy is in so much worse shape now than it was then. I just can't believe that the Fed's magic is going to have the same effect. I think this time the illusion isn't going to fool anybody and the markets are going to tank. And the only way they won't tank is if the dollar tanks by so much that it's hard to notice the stock market going down because the dollar is collapsing even faster, mitigating the fall. But so many of these stocks are so overpriced that they could fall along with the dollar and you can have double loss. Of course, nowhere will the losses be more pronounced than in the bond market. I mean, that's where you have the greatest amount of loss. And of course, a lot of people are not cognizant of that risk. You have a lot of people that are in bonds because they think they're safe. They have no idea just how risky the bond market is. And you know, it's also not a coincidence that the U.S. stock market has never been more overvalued and the U.S. economy has never been in worse shape. Both of these have the same cause, right? It's all the result of the Fed. It's the Fed that has inflated this massive stock market bubble. But the same monetary policy that has resulted in a stock market bubble is why the fundamentals of the economy are so bad, right? All of this stimulus stimulates the stock market, but not the real economy. It sedates the real economy. So the more the Fed artificially suppresses interest rates, the higher the stock market valuations get, but the weaker the economy gets. Because what would strengthen the economy would be a real correction where we can purge the economy of all these over-leveraged companies so we can free up those resources to be utilized more efficiently, more productively. But current monetary policy solidifies all the malinvestments in place. It makes sure that the zombie companies never die. It keeps them alive, but in the process, it prevents healthier companies from being started, from being born. So everything is about preserving the mistakes of the past. So now we can't make good investments for the future. And so we undermine the economy. The economy gets weaker and weaker because the Fed refuses to allow the market to actually cure the economy 
of what ails it. And, and so that is why you have the simultaneous massive overvaluation on Wall Street and you have all of these problems on Main Street. I mean, that is really what's driving the incredible increase in wealth inequality because when you have a bubble, when all you're doing is inflating asset values, you on paper anyway, help people that own those assets, right? Their net worths are going up because the value of their assets is going up or maybe not even the value, the price, right? We're measuring people's net worth by just a number. And so when you cause stock prices to go up, then the people that own those stocks, at least on paper, are are wealthier. And But in the process, you are preventing real economic growth that might actually help the people on Main Street. It doesn't help people on Main Street that somebody's stock portfolio has a bigger number you know, on the statement. That doesn't do anything. Real economic growth has to do with business capital investment, expansion of the economy in, in more production, which leads to uh, lower prices for consumers and more employment opportunities for workers. There are all sorts of Main Street benefits that come from a vibrant, healthy, growing economy. But the Fed is preventing all that from happening because it is sapping all the resources from Main Street and using those resources to prop up Wall Street. And so this is driving this wealth inequality. And the irony of all of this is now you've handed this issue of wealth inequality to the left, to the Democrats. They point to this and say, this is a failure of capitalism, right? And the way to solve the problems of wealth inequality is to redistribute the wealth, is to have socialism. And of course, all that's going to do is exacerbate the problem. I mean, the only thing you may succeed in doing when you implement socialism is destroying the wealth of the witch. I mean, you're not going to increase the wealth of the poor or the middle class. You may reduce the inequality gap by bringing the top way down. It's not going to happen by lifting the bottom up. But of course, that's not the result that anybody wants, or that's not the result that politicians promise. They promise to make people's lives better. But of course, history shows that the only thing they can do is make people's lives worse. The only people's lives who are improved by socialism are the people in government, the people that have the connections and they can benefit from the power. But that comes at the expense of the vast majority of the population. In a free market, people get rich by helping other people. Under socialism, people get rich by controlling other people, right? by impoverishing other people, by having connections in government. It's not about what you know or what you can do, but who you know and what they can do for you. And that is the direction that we are headed in. And I think we're going to you know, really step up the pace at which we are headed in that direction after this election. So I think, again, this is a very, very dangerous time to be invested in U.S. stocks and bonds. There is a maximum level of complacency out there, even among the industry veterans and so-called experts who know that it's all about the Fed. They don't care. They are under the delusion that the Federal Reserve has complete control of the situation and that as long as they keep interest rates low, that everything is gonna be fine. People have no choice but to buy stocks. Stocks are always gonna go up because no matter how much money we print, the dollar is never gonna go down. And that is completely absurd. I mean, that is far more absurd 
than the notion that people had during the housing bubble. You know, I don't, can't remember how many people used to tell me that housing prices never go down. And they would point to the historical uh, record and say that, hey, home prices have never fallen on a national level, so they're never gonna fall. And I would point out, but you're ignoring the magnitude of the recent gain. House prices have never risen by such a large amount in such a short period of time in history either. So how can you say any of those historical precedences regarding declines would apply to the current environment, which is unprecedented with respect to the gains? It just seemed absurd that people would rely on that, yet they did uh, to their own demise, and they're making the same mistake again, just assuming that the dollar's not gonna crash. That just because the Fed succeeded in getting away with QE 1, 2, and 3, that they can now get away with QE infinity. Well, I gotta point out again that the only reason they got away with the first three rounds of QE was because no one believed it was QE infinity. Because everybody believed that the Fed was going to uh, unwind uh, the, the program, that it was gonna shrink its balance sheet and normalize interest rates and never again uh, you know, reach for that tool, that it was a one-time thing because of the financial crisis of 2008, and the Fed was never gonna go there again. Of course, they're back there again. What's happening now is far worse than anything that happened in 2008. This is just getting started, and there is no end in sight to the money printing. In fact, the only end in sight is when the money they're printing no longer has any value, when we have an outright US dollar crisis, and we have a bond crisis. And I think the fact that the bond market failed to rally this week in spite of the biggest two-week decline in an October since 1987, despite the biggest decline in a, in a pre-election week trading session in the history of the stock market, the fact that that could not cause a rally in the bond market should be of great concern to both people in the bond market and in the stock market. And when the Fed has to step in to rescue the bond market, and of course it will rescue the bond market, the one thing that it fears more than a stock market crash is a bond market crash because it knows a bond market crash guarantees an even bigger stock market crash. So when the bond market really starts to break, that's when the Fed is gonna have to kick it into overdrive. But that's when I think the bottom drops out of the dollar. That's gonna be the aha moment that's gonna cause everybody to run for the exits. And again, it's not just gonna be the US Treasury market that's gonna come under fire. It's gonna be all of US dollar denominated debt. Everything that is a fixed dollar payment is gonna get sold. And so the Fed is gonna have its work cut out for it because it's gonna be buying everything. And the price of gold is going to take off. And I hear a lot of people too talk about the fact that, well, you know, the Federal Reserve has put itself in a box it hasn't put itself in a box. It's put the nation in a box because it's the nation that is going to have to bear the consequences of all of the monetary policy mistakes that the Federal Reserve has made over the years and the mistakes that it continues to make. And because the Federal Reserve has made all these mistakes, it has allowed Congress and the president to continue to make its mistakes. What enabled all the deficit spending? Why was the Trump administration able to cut taxes and simultaneously increase government spending? I mean, Trump increased government spending on welfare and on warfare. I mean, talk about guns and butter. You know, we, you know, we had both of them. It was a buffet 
of, of guns and butter. And what made all that possible? It was the Federal Reserve. So it was the monetary policy mistakes that enabled the fiscal policy mistakes. And in fact, you now have Powell, he has been egging Congress on to make even more mistakes. He is saying, make bigger deficits. I want fiscal stimulus. Give me more debt to monetize and I will monetize it for you. So instead of, you know, taking the punch bowl away, uh, the Fed is, you know, just spiking it and then forcing everybody to drink it. Right. It's like he has to drag the people to the punch bowl and make them drink it, even if they're not drinking it of their own. That's how ridiculous this whole thing is. So it's not the Fed that's going to suffer the consequences. It's the country. And what I'm trying to do on this podcast is try to at least mitigate the damage financially to the people who are listening to me. You know, this is not rocket science. It's pretty simple when you actually think about it uh, soundly. That's something that very few people seem to do. And I think their minds, their mentality has been so corrupted by what's happened in the past, right? They've been living in this bubble for so long without consequences, or at least consequences that they can understand because they keep looking at the new highs in the stock market. And as far as they're concerned, that means there's no problems. But it's the problems in the underlying economy that keep driving the Fed to push the market to new highs. And again, they keep looking at consumer spending. Sure, as long as consumers can borrow, they can spend. But there is a limit to how much you can borrow because there's a limit to how much the Fed could print. And we are about to test those limits and we're about to show the world where those limits are. And before the world wakes up to that grim reality, you need to be properly positioned. I don't know how many more times I'm going to be able to say that on this podcast, but I think we're going to be running out of time. But for now, you still have a decline. We've had a decline in in gold stocks. I mean, gold stocks had a very big sell-off Wednesday. Gold stocks, I think, were down to about a three-month low on on the on the drop we had Wednesday really a great buying opportunity across the board in this sector because investors still don't get it so they're throwing out the babies with the bathwater when they go to sell people are going to be rushing these stocks at some point there will be no sellers there will only be buyers uh, but before that happens while there still is a supply of sellers you be the buyer get more money into these gold stocks you can you know, do it on your own. Again, I think that my gold fund, the Europe Pacific Gold Fund, is a great way for investors to diversify into a broad basket of gold stocks, silver stocks, professionally managed by Adrian Day. We've got the majors in there. We've got exploration companies, mid-tier companies, juniors. We've got the royalty companies, very good portfolio. If you have larger amounts of money to invest, we do have separately managed accounts that focus exclusively on the mining sector, but also don't ignore the value end of the market. Forgetting about the gold for a second, looking at a lot of the stocks around the world, the value stocks that nobody has been buying as everybody has been chasing momentum. We've never seen a greater divergence globally between value and growth. And so the value stocks are on sale, especially the value stocks outside the United States, dividend paying value stocks. And I think the emerging markets are poised for a tremendous bull market once the dollar bubble pops and money starts to flow out of developed in U.S. markets particular 
into uh, developing emerging markets. It's the emerging markets that have the most to gain from a weak dollar because they've lost the most from a strong dollar. They've had the biggest problems dealing uh, with the overvalued dollar. And so they're going to have the most relief uh, when the dollar loses that value. Uh, So you want to have position in those stocks. So make sure and talk to the Euro-Pacific Capital reps If you don't have an account, you can set one up. You go to the website at europac.com. If you already have an account, that's fantastic. Maybe uh, you have the ability to add money to the account. Again, I've been saying that I think people need to come into this election invested because I think you need to be out of the dollar. And we've gotten a bit of a gift uh, leading up to the election because the dollar has not sold off. The dollar actually gained a bit on the week you know people are still buying into the dollar as if it was a safe haven but the chart of the dollar does not look good we are headed lower in the dollar this is a little bit of a bear market rally i think in the u.s dollar though we're not technically in a bear market yet i think we are i think we will ultimately be once the market declines enough uh, to prove that it's a bear market i just think it's early in a bear market and i think this is going to be the biggest bear market the dollar has ever suffered i think it's going to be bigger than the bear market of the 1970s and the flip side of that is i think gold could be in the biggest bull market it's ever experienced even bigger than the bull market that it had in the 1970s when the price of gold went from 35 dollars an ounce all the way up above 800. Think about the magnitude of that move. And if we can even equal that or even do half of that, that would be a spectacular bull market. But I think it's even possible that we can exceed that in terms of U.S. dollars, because this time the dollar's not going to stop falling. I mean, in 1980, the dollar stopped falling because Paul Volcker let interest rates go up to 20%. Do we have that option now? Can we save the dollar with 20% interest rates? No, we would kill it even faster because the whole economy would implode. So there's no way to stop the dollar from falling, which means there's no way to stop gold from rising. So before the world figures that out, you need to make sure that you're fully positioned in a portfolio that everybody is going to be scrambling to put together once they connect those dots themselves.